Welcome to the PEO podcast, where we interview industry leaders to discuss all things PEOs. From compliance to technology to client relations and everything in between, I'm your host, Andreas Toller. And the PEO model was such a game changer that I, they honestly and frequently credit this model of PEO and the people involved with it as literally changing my life and the lives of those that we were affected. Today, we are excited to sit down with Jason Randall. Jason is the CEO of Quesco and has worked in the PEO space for a number of years. We will be discussing his journey in the industry, leadership, and what it's like to work with a private equity firm. So Jason, one, one question I'd like to, to ask here is, is there any fun fact uh, about you that maybe even your team at Quesco doesn't know about you? Andreas, I'm not sure how fun it is. Uh, I would say it could, could be fun. I, uh, I'm a pretty big fan of pop, pop culture. And despite my increasingly advanced age, I, I know quite a bit about uh, whatever the latest TV shows, movies, music, all that other good stuff. So I think a lot of the team would be really, really surprised to hear that unless, uh, unless we're joking around and I can pull out some uh, obscure references that establish my really lame street cred in the moment. Any movie recommendations here for, for the audience? Anything that like you watched recently and say, hey, this, this was really impactful and, and thoughtful? What I would say is uh, not a movie, but a TV show that relates to a movie, WandaVision, is, is pretty spectacular. And I'm not a, a big comic book kind of guy. Um, and even without that, I just thought the story was just so resonant, deals with loss and isolation and all these things that uh, are, are well beyond, uh, you know, sort of the, the superficial level that you might suspect. And that was just really well done. Really enjoyed it. Excellent. Let's transition to, to, to the PO world. Um, tell us about your career journey, like how you started and specifically how you, you ended up in the PO sector. Sure, it's had a really long and unwinding road and it intersects with PEO only more recently. So in real broad terms, I went to school uh, and, and had my bachelor's degree in accounting, uh, worked as a CPA for an international firm for a couple of years. And then uh, I've always had the entrepreneurial bug. So I had a, a couple of businesses, um, direct mail advertising company and a, and a pizza restaurant, which in retrospect is probably a better fun fact than the one I gave <laughs> that I can throw a mean pizza and always felt a little underskilled relative to the, the magnitude of those challenges. And so that led me back to school to get my MBA at, uh, at Northwestern, the Kellogg School. More immediately after that, I had uh, a combination of consulting roles, a role on Wall Street briefly, as well as a few years that I spent as a director of brand marketing for a, a storied, uh, privately held large company called Merits, uh, based in St. Louis. And this is a company that really focuses on human potential and incentives and motivation. And it really gave a, a lasting sort of aspect to my skill set of really appreciating people, how to get incremental effort, um, and, and really how to inspire and really how to build a, a spectacular organization. So I left Merits actually, because my brother, Mike, had an incredibly fast growing company uh, in the ticket space, the ticket marketing space. And this is, we're, we're at this point talking ancient history, right? So I kind of have to let, uh, set some context that in the, in the mid-aughts, right, so 2005-ish, it was a time in the internet when you didn't need to have an established brand to excel uh, at being found in the search engines. And so my brother was and is an absolute genius at marketing to those conditions. And so we very quickly, uh, well, he, he had built a website that was getting a million unique visitors a month and more business than could be handled. And he asked me to come over uh, as the first CEO of that company to really professionalize the organization and build the mechanisms that we need to 
to grow um, to the extent that outside capital was relevant to have those kinds of conversations and really set the stage for that business to excel. And it was a, an amazing rocket ship of a ride. We were in the Inc. 500 list. It was the 500 list at that point in time, uh, three years consecutively. And uh, really, as, as leaders of one of the fastest growing businesses in America, that brought some unique challenges. And when I came on to there, one of the things that we immediately identified, well, professionalizing the business, uh, competing for talent with the likes of, we were in Austin, Texas, competing with the university and with Dell and with Google and these, these large prominent employers there for the same kind of tech talent, we needed to up our game from the HR perspective. And that, that led us to the PEO model. And uh, through, through some relationships I already had, uh, the PEO we chose at that time was, was uh, Insperity. And uh, it was really a wonderful relationship that helped enable our growth because the things that a PEO provides most centrally is you know, providing the product so that the, the benefits were there for our people and to get that on parity. And, and for us, equally important was the practices as we had all these people that, you know, we, we had grown an organization almost by accident and now it was time to get intentional about the culture we wanted and how to enable what we were looking for. And the PEO model was such a game changer that I that they honestly and frequently credit this model uh, of PEO and the people involved with it is literally changing my life and the lives of those that were affected. So that, that was a, we, we were always called upon because we were fast growing and a, a sort of uniquely uh, ticketing uh, always gets a lot of attention. So we got national media anyway. And one of the things we were always asked to be a, a testimonial, a role, uh, basically promote the PEO concept uh, to customers and always was happy to do so. So that led a certain evangelistic point of view in terms of the model. So when we, were, we, when we exited the company, my brother decided to retire, move up by you in Colorado and spend all of his days avoiding bears and mountain lions as he, <laughs> as he runs 100 mile races. I took it in a different direction, did some independent consulting for a while, and then was ended up recruited back to the industry by some, some close, uh, a close content lifelong friend that, that's at Insperity to really help... Um, reimagine the building of the sales effort around the larger clients, what was called their mid-market clients that had at least 150 worksite employees. And that effort was uh, amazing. It, it was varied, got to work with absolutely exceptional managers and people in disparity are still among my, my closest friends, just a wonderful organization. But uh, in late uh, 2017 and early 2018, uh, the, the Questco ownership, the private equity firm approached me with really an offer that was just too tantalizing to pass up. And that was the chance to take some of the things I had learned about a great culture and the things I had learned about running a great PEO and really meld that as, as a senior leader, as a CEO of Questco. And so I came over in early 2018, just celebrated my three-year anniversary. And it's been quite a ride from this side of the, of, of the table. Have gotten to appreciate the totality of the rest of the industry and the ecosystems and the people. And it's just such a wonderful place to be. Jason, thanks for, for sharing this incredible story. I'm sure there were Many, many lessons learned on, on that uh, way, on that journey. Now, being the CEO of Questco, if, what is one thing that you wish you would have known, like, you know, previously that would have helped you in your job right now? It's, it's hard to limit it to one, right? I, I think I'm constantly learning in this job, constantly getting better. If, if you're not, you're not paying attention, right, in terms of everything that comes in front of you. But if I had to really focus on one thing that was imparted on me that, that I wish I would have just embraced sooner, it, it's this notion that earlier in, in your career, it's often the, the technical skills that can provide distinction. So if you're in a finance role, how are you at actually reconciling numbers or providing insight around you know, financial variances and things like that? But as you advance, these technical skills, while still relevant, 
uh, certainly in conversation, what becomes exponentially more important is your ability to handle the people side of business and getting to that sort of acumen and call it unconscious skill at inspiring people at, at motivating them and understanding them is just so critically important. And that's something that I wish everyone would, would realize sooner in their careers and get a chance to exercise early in their careers because it's just so important later on. So maybe to piggyback on that, um, what is your view on on leadership? What advice would you give somebody specifically that that is navigating now uh, a PO or any kind of organization in these uncertain times right now? So there are a lot of different ways that people can lead an organization. And so I'm not claiming that my, my way would be the only way or even the best way for many people. And so I guess a side point for what I'm about to say is that it's really important that you lead in a, in a style that's authentic to you mm -hmm. and also that you are selecting an organization or building one that's authentic to that sensibility. So, you know, in other words, what might work for a, a, an old line command oriented organization might work far less well for a more entrepreneurial fluid situation. And so just matching up your role to that requirement is critically important. But that, that's all preamble, right? I, I guess for me, the right situations involve those that really enable a leader to, me, to uh, embody servant leadership. That I, I am not particularly caught up in a whole lot of trappings of, of this title or this position. I feel like I have a platform with which to inspire others, to support them with resource, with emotional support, and, and with understanding. And so this concept of service leadership embeds absolutely everything that I do and that we do at Questco. Because the other part of this is once you're a servant leader, you're able to more fully lean into the concept that it's not about me. It's, it's, it's honestly not about me. It's about the people we serve. And in the most broad view of that sentence, it's not just the clients that we serve or their people, the worksite employees, but there's another population to serve. And that's our people at Questco. So I'm, I'm constantly asking, what can we do for this team? Where, where are we falling short? How do we meet their expectations? And by doing so, we can stay truest to our values. And that gets us through challenges and opportunities alike. And I think it's the most central concept of uh, you know, what, what has made Questco successful. It seems like in your view, the, the, the people element is really at the core. You know, what recommendations can you give to our audience to attract and retain the best talent uh, in the PO industry? Having a true understanding of who you are and who you aren't and being able to speak to that brand voice. It's very easy to get advice around, you know, have, having an employment brand. And I think that's an important concept. And I think it's also important that that brand is authentic to who you are. That, that's the essence of branding. Is it's not something that's put upon or inflicted on you by a consultant or an influential party or what you think might sell. It's that, it, that it's true to you. So that's where I really take this always is be authentic. And everything comes from that. I want to shift now a little bit to the, the broader industry, right? The broader PO industry. Um, what, what kind of trends are you seeing right now? What are, what are the, the big topics that you and other CEOs are considering? Well, there are a lot of smaller points that might vary by region or the focus of the PEO. Um, I think something that's universal is that our, our clients and our potential clients are becoming more familiar with our industry and more sophisticated in the way they approach the decision to join a PEO or to stay with a PEO. We find the questions in many, many areas To, to imply, to suggest, and, and in fact, demonstrate a lot of knowledge about the way we do business that might not have been the, the case uh, in years past. You know, how, how do you handle Section 125 items? 
I'm not sure I, I would have heard that 10 years ago. We, we hear it with some routine today as just one small example. So whether it's about the service offerings, the benefits offerings, the technology, that people are getting more sophisticated in that. And I think that's a wonderful thing uh, as a PEO, as long as you're embracing it, right? If, if you were trying to uh, sell by having dominance uh, over information, probably not going to work all that well for all that long. But when we uh, go into things collaboratively with transparent pricing and the fundamental respect for the process and the people involved, it does okay. But I think that is a, a huge change as a sophistication. And, and, and what do you do to stay relevant as, as, as Quesco, right? I mean, uh, what, what kind of channels are you looking into in order to, to stay relevant, to understand the, the, the right trends in the, the industry? So how we stay relevant is a slightly different question than how we grow our relevance and our, and our presence nationwide. And so I guess I had to address that in two parts. The first is staying relevant for, for longtime Questco legacy clients. Uh, Questco for, for years did just, just an amazing job of serving a, a, a clientele that was um, you know, headquartered outside of Houston. Uh, is, is Quesco. And um, the clientele consisted of a lot of blue collar businesses, uh, heart and soul type uh, operations and serving them well, as they would define it, responsive service, really strong safety and workers comp programs, and a good working knowledge of, of that kind of business. So my mission was to not only retain that uh, core competency organization, but to grow it, to become more relevant to, to a different audience that might value things like, for example, comprehensive medical benefits or more robust technology more, more fully. Uh, even, even the nature of HR advice changes as you go into more white collar sectors, different aspects of the country and so on. So my mission at Questco was to broaden and deepen the service offering, which, which took quite a while. And I don't know if we'll ever be totally there, but we're, we're much closer. And then part of that was just building a world-class sales force that, that can take that message uh, to our prospects and, and uh, ultimately grow the business. So that's been my mission is to reflect the broader audience for which PEO is a, a wonderful, compelling concept, and then build the team, the processes, and the product that can support it. And I'm sure as a CEO, like the, the there are so many opportunities every day that come across your desk, right? How how do you make the decisions, uh, what to execute on and what to focus on uh, and, and to align your team around? So I love the phrasing of that question because it kind of acknowledges like for many of us that, that, that lead an organization like this, there are probably more good ideas than we have time and ability to execute on them, right? So the question's fundamentally valid, right? What are the best things? And so what you have to first do is acknowledge this point, right? That you may not be able to focus on everything. And I don't know about your inbox as a leader, Andreas, but mine is constantly filled with invitations to alter my agenda, right? There, there's something else that I should be taking a look at. In many cases, that's certainly valid. But so I think this starts with a clear understanding of what the priorities are for the business. This can be elusively challenging to, to obtain, but are, are you trying to grow? If so, how? And then you focus your efforts on the things that, that really you believe are closest to these high priority items, because there's always an, an opportunity to take a fresh look at a brand new ancillary item that comes down the path or so on. So getting an understanding of what you're really going for, which, which in our case is sustainable double digit growth. Well, then what are the avenues by which to achieve that? And that helps me prioritize. The answer is still a little vague. So I guess going one level deeper on that, it's like, okay, well, if we prioritize sales growth as a key thing, does this invitation, does, does this opportunity that's in front of us, whatever it may be, does that track to that or does it not? And I find myself all the time saying, hey, this is an awesome idea. 
I would actually love to take a look at this. It's probably going to be nine months. And, and telling that to, to the counterparty, if it's somebody outside the business, that, that's the right answer. If you don't exercise that strength as a senior leader, you will find yourself in shiny object land, where instead of being disciplined and mission focused, you're just all over the place. And uh, it might be great that you incrementally increased or improved, say, your disability offering, but you might have done that at the expense of a much bigger bogey uh, that was right in front of you and you didn't have time to execute. So hopefully that's a helpful perspective. I think so, right? And I think a lot of leaders, uh, yeah, struggle with, with with the same thing, right? It's it's about there's so many opportunities these days. What do you execute on, right? And what do you say no to, right? In order to to stay focused on on the key initiatives. Jason, you mentioned your journey in the industry. What have you seen since you entered the industry? What kind of changes have you seen? How has the, the industry developed as a whole? Yeah, I think there are plenty of people that might be better equipped to, you know, someone that's been operating a PEO and environment for the same PEO for decades might have a different perspective on this. For for me, what I'm most excited about is it's um, this is not an industry where you need to have 100,000 worksite employees to be relevant and uh, to to be compelling. But um, you know, in Quest, we're firmly in the mid size uh, in terms of our worksite employee counts, big enough to departmentalize and all that. Um, so what, what I see is that with the technology we have available and the service offerings we have available and the great talent we have available, we can win business from even the very largest names and stay relevant to those that might be with the very smallest names and want that, that customer intimacy. So technology and business operations processes allow us to break the false choice. You can, you can get to know your customers well. And really understand them, know their birthdays and all the things that people associate with the with a small company, and still have the scale and the offerings and the general go-to-market strategy that allows competence at all levels. And I think that's a dynamite combination that's increasingly available to more of us in the industry. And I think that's an incredibly exciting thing, not just for our industry, but for the the, the, the markets that we serve. Um, I would also say that unmistakably. Technology comes to the forefront right here. Uh, when I became a PEO client in 2005, and keep on, we were operating a tech business. We had a lot of tech-savvy people on staff. That's just a, maybe a glance at the PEO's technology. It really wasn't central to the buying decision. Whereas now, even a company that has, say, 30 worksite employees, they're going to want to go deep in that technology. There's always a demo. Often, they'll interact with our accounting and want direct GL interfaces. They're, they're more concerned with the ancillary offerings and how they integrate. And I think this overall raising of the bar is a very good thing for us because it shows that we're, we're providing more value, but it also is a challenge to meet that standard. And then I think one other thing that, that has to be said is, you know, as, as we record this in March of 2021, we're coming off of a, a solid year of living in a world with COVID. And I believe COVID, well, you know, the, the, the ramifications of what we've experienced in the pandemic will be felt for generations. One of the things that's becoming readily apparent and was it has been for some time is that those that had support of the nature that we provide were situated much, much better than those that did not. And maybe that, that's discussed often in the, in the context of a PPP loan access or something like that. But I think it's way deeper than that. I think that it's, it's the difference between having a guide on an unfamiliar path and not. And I believe that is valued by an increasing uh, segment of the marketplace. It's like, wait a minute, we, we, were, un, we were exposed because we don't have a valued HR partner uh, to lead us through this. And because virtually every issue related to this pandemic would eventually hit the desk of HR in some capacity, 
we have an, an amazing opportunity at the back end of this to really, we, we've shown our value, we have our case studies, and I think the value we provide to the small business and mid-sized business community is even more apparent now. And I think that's an incredibly exciting thing looking forward for the industry. You know, ho hopefully, you know, we, we are at the end of the pandemic here, right? With the vaccines coming out and whatnot. What do you anticipate as, as you know, the, the impact afterwards, right? How do you think will sales change uh, after the pandemic, uh, you know, in office work? Um, what do you think will be some of the lasting impacts that we'll see as a business world? A little hard to know what's, what's uh, lasting, right? And I think uh, the predictions could, could look pretty silly, maybe even a year from now. But certainly an issue that we, we've all had to re-examine re is, well, how necessary is a certain geography for any one teammate, uh, whether it's a sales, long-held uh, beliefs around, well, salespeople need to be close to clients uh, so that they can call on them physically. Is that true? Does a service team have to be physically located in the same spot to provide excellent service? Fundamental questions about the way we operate the business were forced on us by necessity. And now they bring some interesting possibilities. We found ourselves very, very nimble in, in the mobile environment and able to take care of clients. And I think that has lasting impacts that we will need to continually re-examine. But I think it's all really good that um, you know, we've been able to hire much more remotely with many more roles than we would have assumed a year ago. And it's been tremendously successful. I, I think the the other effects I think might be a little slower, harder to, to maybe realize around what, what does this work even look like? What do our clients value from us? What do they expect from us in terms of, you know, I, I know we've gone deeper into supporting the CPAs uh, of our clients than I ever would have anticipated under normal core circumstances. So is there something there? Is there something to the offering? Uh, that we need to shift from a service uh, servicing perspective, as well as well, what are the implications, the more brass tax conversations, but what does this do to our hard costs of, of benefits providing and the, the risk factors of that uh, due to some interesting un unprecedented developments in terms of the, the health profiles of our customer base. So I think there's a lot that will take some time to uh, sort of unwind. And I think the only way I can responsibly capitalize on this is to have an open mind, pay close attention, because I think there's a lot uh, of positive growth that, that can come to every player in the industry by being more flexible, more remote, and more customer-centric. Jason, I want to go back to a point that you made earlier in the interview. You talked about the fact that uh, Cresco is uh, PE-backed, right? Private equity-backed. Uh, what kind of impacts did private equity have for the PEO industry, right? What are certain changes that you have seen uh, in the industry since PE money came in? So my entire time as a CEO of a, of a PE-backed uh, PEO has obviously had, had the private equity flavor to it. So again, there might be some people that can really balance the, you know, before this, this sector had as much PE interest, but certainly unmistakably financial buyers are a part of our world now and I believe will remain so. I would say it's a it's a very good thing, but a very it's a it's a nuanced sort of thing. I, I think you can expect organizations to generally concentrate in an environment like this. There will be more acquisitions, and and players will will get larger. While there will always be a place for sub five thousand worksite employee PEOs, I think you will find more of us lettering up to a larger size because that's that's what's rewarded by this marketplace, and it also suggests perhaps that we're, we're at the uh, well beyond the consensus point in terms of acceptance by, by the market. Uh, this, this capital is very comfortable making really large, uh, splashy investments in the space. 
And so I think our moment has arrived. And uh, so where some of the legitimacy, legitimacy concerns or the governmental relations concerns of, of the last generation of PEO operators, while, while still certainly relevant in some individual cases, uh, our, our ability to interface with large sophisticated capital and to build organizations of requisite sophistication, that becomes a, a, a part of the skill set that may have been absent or neglected in the past. And that, that, that certainly has ramifications for everyone that, that, that's owner, owning or operating a PEO right now is you, you, you may ignore it. It may not be for you, but you, you, can't, uh, you can't deny its impact on uh, you know, our aggressiveness about going after business and going after competitors. You know, as, as a leader of, of, of Questco, how is it on a day-to-day -day basis to, to, be, to be working with a private equity company? Short answer is it's, it's better than I could have hoped for stepping into the role. And a lot of that has to do with, I, I feel incredibly fortunate to have partnered with a private equity organization that truly values the human beings that, that work for our company. I don't take that for granted ever. We also have a really healthy, collaborative, open environment that maybe even blurs the line you know, sometimes, but there's a, there's a traditional ownership function. I am very comfortable sharing deep into our operations. And so we have a very healthy Uh, ongoing dialogue that's very organic. And I think that's probably peculiar to our situation, but certainly something that I appreciate and would recommend to others as kind of a best-in-class operating model, that, that we're very, very collaborative, the communication is excellent on both sides. I also think it's important to acknowledge that even the decision to take private equity money, if, that, if that's something that you're not currently in the position for, it is, it is a lifestyle decision more than a financial decision. You know, we're, we're a company that also acquires others. So I've seen this firsthand now repeatedly. Someone that might have been the founder or an early, an early uh, partner in a PEO that's basically had their, his or her kingdom for a number of years, the decision to take private equity changes the accountability behaviors that are involved there. I think it's a very difficult thing emotionally to just flat out, you didn't have a boss. Now you, now you have a boss, but even, even more than that, you also have procedures, there, there, there are other people that have a voice in the operation. And it's one thing to kind of hear that, it's another thing to live that. I come from a background where accountability and clear communication was second nature to me as, as, as an executive with larger organizations. So it, it's a rather straightforward aspect of how I behave. I find it much, much more difficult for, for many others to kind of adjust to that lifestyle. And something that should be very carefully considered is how you and how your team would react if suddenly there are different reporting structures, if there isn't just one person through whom decisions flow through. But uh, being part of something larger than the, than the smaller organization was previously is a choice, and that choice has consequences. And I think it's really important to flesh this out. All this really comes back to having a lot of frank conversations during your own discussions with private equity firms about the lifestyle post-close and what that looks like. So for somebody in the industry that is evaluating that option and thinking about taking on PE money, what kind of criteria to select the right partner uh, would you suggest, right, in a, in a framework here? I think my comment would be, if you're singularly focused on the highest multiple, the absolute largest number of dollars, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, as long as you appreciate the choice that you're actually making, which is that that may not be the thing that, that drives the most success for, for all stakeholders. And it may well be. Uh, let's keep in mind that private equity deals typically have some function of an earnout or a, a payment that's at risk later in the process based on how the business will perform after the, after the deal is made. My insight to this question is 
there's sort of a boilerplate uh, kind of sentence around, hey, it's not just our money as a PE firm, it's all the support we provide. I think what's most important is a philosophical alignment uh, so, because the nature of that support to one, one person, to some of you may, may seem like just meddling or, or wildly unwelcome to someone else. So I think partnering with an organization that really gets you, that, that is in a line with where you wanna take things, where you have a common vision, that is the road to a much more successful relationship than if you gloss over these issues. Uh, I can tell you that in our, in our own diligence process, when we are the acquirer, we spend tremendous amounts of time on this cultural issue because our, and again, it depends what your purpose is, what your, what your plan is, but we, we, we would acquire an organization with the intent to hold on to 100% of their employees, of the, of the acquired company's employees, because that's what we ultimately believe we're buying. Not a customer list, not, not, not the products or, or strategy. We're, we are buying these people and the relationships that they have and the capabilities that they bring. So as such, we spend a lot of time on the fit issues to know where, where we're strong and where we're weak. And that is, that is probably what I pound the table on the most is, are, are you thinking through these issues on a detailed person-by-person -person level and prepared to deal with the consequences? And that should take up at least as much of your mind share as, a, the, as the financial dimensions of the transaction, unless your goal is just to, to sell and walk. And then there may be some different factors at play. But whatever, they, know what your motivations are, know what your goals are, and, and make sure the firm is aligned with that because this is not something to leave to chance or to, to fuzzy conversation. It, it will come back up. That alignment of, you know, the philosophy or core values very much resonates, right? Uh, I think that, that that's really interesting or important foundational point for really any business transaction. You, you mentioned there are things to gain from that relationship, maybe outside of the cash expertise, support, what are the, some tangible things that uh, somebody could gain from a uh, relationship with a, with a PE? It really depends on the firm you're partnered with. They may have some, some expertise in-house. And so like, for example, if you're looking to scale the business through your own organic growth, if there's someone on your board that has done that in a way that you haven't, um, that's a really interesting perspective. Now, there, there were things that, that that individual doesn't know about the, the domain you've inhabited, but they will have some really interesting outside perspectives to share and possibly some relationships to help along the way. I would say something else that's been really important to us is you know, we, we have a really strong team financially at Questco. And at the same time, we were not purpose built for a lot of what if analysis on various things. So mm -hmm. we're able to at times tap into private equity resources to help refine and, and get to a different level of sophistication around our growth model and the assumptions. And you, know, you asked before, Andreas, what does COVID mean for you? Well, we can model out at Questco uh, the sensitivity of various clients Uh, and we were able to get there faster by using PE firm resources that do more very deep uh, assumptions-based modeling in their own shop. So just a couple of examples day to day, having a, a board that is supportive of, of direction also will, will yield a lot of sounding boards, right? That um, here's someone we can talk to that has a different perspective that might've seen something similar 12 times in, in the past. And you can tap into a deeper expertise that is directly incented to help. And I know I get a lot of value over each of the points that we brought up here. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at po-podcast.com to learn more. I'm Andreas Deptoller and this is a PO Podcast. We'll see you next time.